You're listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, we're wrapping up a series today that we call The Beauty of Belonging. Uh, and if you were here a couple weeks ago, our brother Mikado Henson came and gave a great message talking about that, that we are built for community. And there's beauty when we find belonging in the community of Christ. And then in the second week, we talked about the cultural trends that mitigate against that. That individualism, though it's not all bad, trends towards isolation. And it's interesting, after we talked about that, The Atlantic uh, put out an article that that amend uh, this series uh, in the worst of ways. It says, from 2003 to 2020, American men reduced their average hours of face-to-face socialization by 30%. Unmarried Americans, the decline was even bigger, 35%. For teenagers, 45%. Less and less time communing with people face-to-face. And they note in the article that that increasing isolation has been mirrored by an increase in anxiety and depression. That, That there's a downside to our isolating. And yet we said we don't try to get back to some bygone era. We're not trying to go to some idealized past. We're trying to fulfill God's created intent, that we worship a trinity, a tri-unity, a God who is three persons, uh, but one set of attributes. God is community, and he's inviting us to be part of a party already in progress, that he is knitting a family together, that we would love each other with the love that he's given us. And then Last week, uh, Jacob did a great job of talking about the ben- one of the benefits of community is confession. That when I find a place where I'm safe to be vulnerable, I can confess that which is maybe sapping my strength because of the shame of it. I can confess my sin, forsake it, and have a supportive environment that helps me walk out of some of the things that are holding me back in life. That there's a possibility of growth in the midst of loving community. And so there's wonderful benefits And coming in from the cold of isolation, moving into the warmth of community and becoming a better person. So it's been a very inspirational series. And we could end it there and say, isn't that great? But what I realized as I thought about this is, hey, all of this is great in theory. In community, great. Let's all love each other. I love all people. But when it comes to real people, actual humans that you know, that's when all this starts to break down. So I want to conclude this series by talking about conflict. Because I don't know if you know this, but drama is coming. That's life, is it not? You can't escape it. Some of you know that you moved to this town and you got a roommate that refuses to do the dishes. And you look around and you go, I don't understand it. I don't understand this. How can someone live in this kind of filth? Others of you are assigned to a group project at work and you got someone that just routinely comes in late and will not pull their own weight. And you go, why am I bound together with this person? (laughs) Others of you got a roommate that's always nagging you about doing the dishes and you're like, bro, you need to relax. (laughs) Or others of you have someone in your group project that's just really uptight and they need to chill. Some of you are part of an organization whose leader is crazy drunk with power and you're wondering what to do about him. Some of you have someone who likes you 
and wants to date you, and you don't know how to let them know gently that there is no chance. <laughs> when it comes to real people, real drama's coming. We gotta know it. And when it does, we have two primal responses. The first one is to avoid. Uh, there was possibly a time in my life, in my 20s, where I had a roommate that was difficult, and there was potentially times where I remember driving home, seeing his car in the driveway and passing my house <laughs> and parking elsewhere to be alone with my thoughts. Uh, some of you have gotten a text come in and you go, I don't want to answer that. And you're like, uh-oh, I was going to post something on social media. Now I can't because they'll know. They'll know I'm holding a phone. Uh, years ago, there was a company started called The Breakup Shop uh, that for $10, they would text the person that you were dating to tell them it's over. Uh, for $20, they would send a note to the person in the mail. Uh, for $30, they would call them and tell them it's over. Uh, we have so distanced from one another, say, can I hire somebody else to break up with you? So let's try this. Let's try a moment of honesty. How many of you, when someone says they want to hang out, when they text you, give it a show of hands. How many of you, when someone said, hey, you want to meet me at the park? Hey, we should do something, whatever. How many of you pretended to be busy and in silence just never answered them back? Just, just avoided the text altogether. Three people, only the first two rows. Interesting. Wow, no one else has ever ghosted someone. Fascinating. Okay. How many of you, when someone said, hey, let's do something, have just been honest and direct right away? You said, I'm sorry, I can't spend time with you today. How many of you, that's your immediate response? Just a responsible text back with the truth. Oh, okay. Let's try this. Let's reverse the situation. How many of you, when you text someone and say, hey, let's grab lunch, hey, let's hang out, how many of you, your preferred method of response would be for them to just ghost you? You never hear from them again. Just how many of you would be like, I like that. I like the ambiguity. I like to just... Anyone? No? Interesting. Okay. How many of you would rather a prompt, quick, direct response? Something like, thanks for asking, I can't make it. How many of you would prefer that sort of honesty? Oh, okay, wow, interesting. All right. Isn't that wild that the way of communicating we prefer, we often don't extend to other people. And the way we don't prefer is often, if we're honest, how we treat people. Why? Because there's something in us that avoids discomfort, not for their sake, but for ours. So when conflict comes, a lot of times we just avoid. We ghost people. They never hear from us again. Or the other primal response is attack. If something's not going well, I got to destroy you, right? And this is what we've done more and more uh, online. That for us, as we've distanced socially, we've separated into us's and them's, and across the boundary of technology, I can lob horrible sentences to other people because I don't have to look at the pain in your eyes. Uh, it's interesting, I couldn't find it again. There was a study uh, where they had these young men uh, contact their grandmas who they had had a, a meeting to go hang out with their grandma and tell their they're not coming. Which I don't know who set up this study, like, and why would you do this to grandmas? But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they had one group text grandma, hey, I'm not coming. And then the other group called grandma. And again, I, I, I should have found it so I'd know the exact numbers, but it was wild. The number of people that texted grandma was almost like 
They were just like, can't make it, you know, and they were done. But the ones that had to call her and hear the disappointment in her voice, like the majority of them buckled. Never mind, Grandma, let me make some move, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's easier to dismiss somebody when you don't have to look at the pain in their eyes. That's why we can be so ugly with each other online. I have had, I mean, I don't get a lot of online hate, but I've had some people say some of the craziest things to me online. That's why I don't check social media anymore. So if you DM'd me, I'm not gonna see it Uh, because I can't stand the hate. And there's people that I'm like, you would not say that to my face. Uh, you just wouldn't do that. Maybe, maybe a small percentage of you would, depending on how big a boy you are and whatever. But uh, I just can't even imagine you bringing this kind of anger and cruelty if you were looking me in the eye. Right? And so for many of us, it's either a void or it's a tag. I can be vicious to you when I don't have to acknowledge your humanity. When you dehumanize someone, it's easy to be inhumane. And we have a culture of hate and anger right now where we either avoid or we attack. And a community like that can't stand. Uh, It's interesting, years ago when I was in seminary, I remember we studied the work of Dr. Gregory Stanton uh, who was studying genocide, uh, Germany in World War II, Cambodia, Rwanda. And he gave kind of a list of, of the descending categories that move towards genocide. And he said, it begins with, classification. We divide the us's and them's. And then symbolization. We attach symbols to them. The them's were those kind of clothes, those kind of colors, those kind of symbols, that kind of food, us versus them. And then once we've uh, classified and symbolized, now we dehumanize. They're monsters. They're animals. They're vermin. We begin to call them names that are less human. And then we organize official groups that demonize the other. Then we polarize the extremes pull us apart. Then there's identification. You're one of them. Then there's extermination. And as he was studying where genocide has occurred, that's the trend he saw. And if that trend scares you because some of it sounds recognizable in the country today, you realize, hey, we got a problem with how we talk to each other and we got to fix this. How do we deal with one another? It's interesting. I won't take you back through Gene Twenge's stats on Uh, generations, although it's fascinating, and I probably will again someday. But it was interesting to see how few trends Gen X have started. But we have, as a generation, uh, really mastered cynicism. And if you look at the uh, trend lines, trust in government, trust in the news, and trust in religion, all started to go down in my generation as we came of age. And those trend lines have continued. And where there's eroding trust, there's eroding fabric in a community. Can we survive? Or are we just gonna tear each other apart? There has to be a better way. There has to be a better way than avoid an attack. Separate the us's and them's and then lob bombs across the wall. Is there a different way to treat each other? Can the church offer the world something else? Is it possible to enter tension with for the hope of redemption? And what I love about this passage in Ephesians is is we talked about it. Ephesians chapter one, God crosses the boundary of our sin to come and rescue us. And then in Ephesians two, he says, and I'm dissolving the walls of hostility so that we can be a family. And then in Ephesians four, he begins to talk to us how. Speaking the truth in love, we can in all things grow. That there's a possibility of speaking to one another the truth in love 
and growing together. Here's the possibility that some people have trouble imagining right now. It's possible to enter tension with the hope of redemption. And it's not just possible, it's purposeful, it's, it's beautiful, and it's an opportunity for growth. What could be dangerous could actually be a delight if we enter into it the right way. Uh, I remember for me, when I came into this city, you know, um, pastors can uh, compete with each other. I don't know if you know this, this can happen. Pastors can feel a sense of competition and it can get kind of ugly. How big's your church? Uh, you know, how good are you at X, Y, or Z? And, uh, and I remember in the town I was in before I moved here, pastors got together, kind of passed all that insecurity and, and forged this brotherhood where they would pray and encourage one another. And it became this really beautiful thing. And I was like, wow, man, I really hope something like that exists in DC. I don't know if I got to start it. It's going to take years. I don't know anybody. And I remember showing up in this city. And as I showed up here, people were like, beware of the tensions. There's going to be all kinds of tension in this city. Churches that compete with one another, political tensions. We polarize to mobilize. And then there's going to be racial tension and ethnic tension. And so people were warning me of all these tensions. And I remember as I showed up, it wasn't days before I was invited to a pastoral breakfast. And I remember showing up at this breakfast and walking in, and it was one of the uh, most diverse rooms I'd ever been a part of. And as I got a picture of the story, Pastor T.L. Rogers, who'd been a pastor in the city for decades, met with a pastor of NCC that used to meet right here in this space and realized, hey, as the demographics of the city are changing and uh, uh, more white people are coming in and, and how do we deal with this? And, and, and T.L. Rogers, who was an older black pastor and some of these young white guys said, you know what? We can sort of never meet each other and sort of dwell distantly and with mistrust or we can try to bridge the gap of, of uh, misunderstanding and maybe even create unity. And so they decided to have breakfast together. And I remember the first one I showed up to, it was at that point, maybe half black pastors, half white pastors. And we got there and no one gave a sermon. No one gave a speech. No one told us how big their churches were. One guy got up and started talking about how he was struggling with depression. And another guy stood up and said, uh, we don't talk about that in my culture. And another one stood up and said, would anyone be willing to raise hands to say who's wrestled with depression like what this brother just brought up? That's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do at pastor stuff. You're supposed to raise your hand at how big your church is, not how sad you get. <laughs> Hands went up all over the place. Brothers started praying for each other all over the place. And I was like, what is this? A category where everyone kept warning me, you better watch out those tensions. You better watch it. You better die. You're about to trip into a white field, a uh, minefield, a <laughs> white field. <laughs> well, <laughs> trust me. It's been brought up many times that I am white and we are in Shaw. I am aware. And uh, how do you do it? And what I watched is you don't avoid and you don't attack, but you enter that temptation with a goal of redemption. And Pastor DL used to take me around and drive me around the city and still does. We did it a couple weeks ago. We tried to make this video for Black History Month. We had these grand ambitions of making this incredible uh, video about the uh, spiritual legacy of the black church in D.C. And uh, we did not accomplish our great heights of, of a goal for the video yet. 
we're on our way, but the, we just couldn't get it done. But uh, we had an awesome day of just driving around the city and watching TL just strike up conversations with strangers and uh, tell stories. And I'll tell you what, he's done that with me maybe half a dozen times and just driven me around and not seen my ignorance as a place of offense, but seen it as an opportunity for growth. And I've watched him bring healing uh, in a beautiful way. It, it's possible to enter arenas where there's tension and actually use that tension as an opportunity for redemption. Uh, I remember for me, when we first moved here, uh, my son, Owen, was maybe four at the time, and he was um, in kind of that well-actually stage, you know, where he's learning things and excited about what he's learning and would like to share it with you, you know what I mean? And so he kind of was always kind of popping off and saying stuff, and I remember we took him to Disney World, and uh, we went to go meet the princesses and you know, you're supposed to turn the corner and it's a big surprise and we turn the corner and uh, he's there with his two sisters and Cinderella's there waiting to see them and he walks up right away and goes, where do you keep the guns around here? And she was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, sorry. And uh, no pictures of Cinderella. And uh, we met uh, astronaut Shane Kimbrough, the commander of the International Space Station who was showing us a photo of the Aurora Borealis that he took on his phone from space. And he was like, well, here's the Aurora Borealis. And Owen was like, well, actually, and I was like, shh, shh, shh. You, don't, you don't, well, actually, the commander of the space station. That's a rule, right? So anyway, I wasn't there, but Donna took my kids to Ben's Chili Bowl next door. Ben's Chili Bowl, for those of you who don't know, talk about black history, it's right next door. I mean, you're in it on this street. Who's played in this theater, Black Broadway? The, the cultural explosion that happened in this place is amazing. And right next door, you got Ben's Chili Bowl that birthed in the 50s, survived the 60s and 70s and 80s, the difficult downturns there, and has just been this wonderful hub of black culture right next door. My wife takes our little kids in there, and she's trying to corral these little kids. And Owen kind of breaks loose, and he walks up to this older black woman there uh, who he did not know is Mrs. Ali, who her and her husband started this place in the 50s. And he had his Black Panther action figure because the movie had just come out. He's very excited about it and had learned some things about it. And so he walked right up to her and goes, excuse me, have you ever heard of Black Panther? <laughs> and Don is trying to crawl kids. Hey, could you? And she's like, oh man, like he's about to educate Mrs. Ali. <laughs> and you know, there's a decision tree available at that point of how you handle a child like this. You know, from irritation to lecture. But you know what Mrs. Ali did? She leaned down and she picked him up and put him on her lap and started telling him stories. And I just thought, that is the way you do it. That conflict's too strong a word for that moment, but, but tension? What do we do in tension? We avoid, we assume, we attack, or you say tension has the opportunity of redemption, then I'm stepping in, I'm leaning in, I'm using this as an opportunity. And I've watched Pastor TL do that with me, I've watched Miss Ali, or I didn't watch Madonna until I met with my son. It's beautiful, and I'm just saying all that to tell you there's a possibility of conflict being a conduit to deeper community if you do it right. So how do we do it right? Let me give you a couple assumptions and let me talk practically how to move through speaking the truth in love. Some assumptions is we assume everyone has beauty, that every human being is made in the image of God and therefore has a dignity to them. That's what we're called to. 
It's interesting, later in Ephesians chapter four, Paul will say, having put away falsehood, speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one another. Don't lie to that person that disempowers them, keeps from the ability of making choices based on reality. You speak the truth, why? Because you have respect for them because we're members of each other. That's someone God has made and knit together with you in Christ. But we also assume everybody's broken. Everyone's beautiful in the image of God and therefore has dignity, but everybody's broken because of sin and would benefit from some correction, right? So conflict can be constructive if our goal is redemption, not destruction, all right? Proverbs speaks to this. <clears throat> Proverbs 20 says, blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes made clean the innermost parts. Proverbs 27 says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Proverbs 24 says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Leviticus 19 says, don't hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. It's interesting how it puts that together. Don't hate him, rebuke him frankly. It's loving to correct somebody sometimes. You know this. How do you determine who's a good friend? A good friend is the one who's willing to risk what you think about them so they can help you. That's a good friend. A good friend is the one who will tell you, hey man, you got something on your teeth. Rather than going like, well, I don't wanna say that because that could be weird. They're willing to risk you thinking bad of them in order to help you not look crazy, right? And you go, that person really cares about me. And we need it. All of us need someone who can conflict with us in a constructive way. That's why teams have coaches. Even the best players need a coach that can see what they're doing and saying, I wanna correct you, not to destroy you, but develop you. And so if we have a community where we say, you know what, we're gonna rub up against each other in some awkward ways, we're gonna get on each other's nerves, and as soon as we do, what's the choice? For a lot of people, it's hit eject on that church. As soon as it gets uncomfortable, I'm out! And then I'm gonna trash them online, right? Or I'm gonna passive-aggressively whisper about that person behind closed doors. Or you go, you know what? Let me lean in and communicate with them. Not to destroy them, not to prove I'm right, but to use this tension for redemption, to help them grow and help me grow. Use this conflict in a constructive way. That's what Paul's advocating with the simple statement, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow. That's how the church responds to each other, right? So let me tell you what we're not gonna do, and then we'll talk about what we will do. <clears throat> what we are not gonna do, it says to speak. That means we're not gonna ignore people or try to pretend there's not an issue when someone hurts our feelings, right? Uh, Gene Twenge uh, said this uh, in an article several years ago about millennials. The question at the top of the article was, is ignoring the new no? And in the article, she says, being ignored brings up those feelings of social rejection and exclusion combined with the awful feeling of waiting, which is anxiety provoking for most people. We question why we got rejected, if our text even sent, if the person really likes us, and if the trend continues, it increases the rate of depression, which she would identify as our biggest psychological risk. When there's a tension with someone and you just disappear, it, it, it's a form of torture. But if you can move towards them with confrontation, it could be constructive. So we're not gonna ignore each other, we're gonna speak. And we're gonna speak the truth, is what he says. We're gonna say true things. Now let me notice here, that's not minimizing. If someone hurts your feelings, you don't 
you're not called to minimize. No big deal, didn't matter. No, it's whatever. No, you can say when something hurt. And no maximizing. Well, it's because you're a monster. You're a racist. You know, like we're not just gonna try to destroy the other person with name calling, but we're gonna love. Not try to punish, not try to destroy, but how can I say the truth to you out of a genuine concern for you so we can all grow? That's the idea, right? Uh, This was put on display just recently by Kevin Durant. Many of you have seen this article or saw maybe the clip, did you? Kevin Durant uh, is a basketball player. Is everyone aware who I'm talking about here? It's like very quiet today. Okay. All right. Anyway, he, he plays basketball professionally and uh, he was running out to the court to warm up and some fans from the other team called him a female dog. Um, very inappropriate language that they chose to use that I won't repeat. And so as he's running out, they call him a name and he instantly turns around and walks straight towards them. And he doesn't avoid them. He moves towards them. And you see, as soon as he does, they're shocked. And when he moves towards them, they are like trying to shake hands, trying to suddenly they're like excited to engage him. And he has this moment where he talks to him like, you don't need to call me that. You don't need to yell at people's call names like that. And then he leaves. And as he leaves, Uh, the arena then moves in to throw the people out. And so he comes back and says, no, don't throw them out. They just need to know you don't have to say cruel things to get attention. And so then he was asked about it later in a uh, a post-game interview. He's like, what were you doing? And he was like, you know, people can, they just see you as some separate thing. When you're an athlete, celebrity, it's like they're watching animals in a zoo. And so they dehumanize you. He said, I just wanted them to see I'm a real person and name calling hurts and you don't have to do that. He said, but I don't want to punish and destroy them. I don't want to throw them out. They paid to be in there. Hey, sit here and watch me play. Just don't call me names. (laughs) And I thought, what a wonderful way to do that. Not avoid, not attack, but I'm going to speak the truth so that you will grow. That's how we treat each other in the church. You see it? So let me talk about it as it relates to maybe you're going to get in some emotional tension with somebody maybe even over a non-moral issue. Someone did something to hurt your feelings. I would say, number one, is you're going to speak. And by that, I don't necessarily mean you're gonna do all the talking. I mean, if someone's offended you or hurt your feelings, you're, you're going to talk to them. I'm not gonna passive aggressively whisper about them, trash them online, and I'm not gonna disappear either. I'm going to speak to them. But some of you say, well, Ben, Proverbs 12 says, the vexation of a fool is known at once. The prudent ignores an insult. And so sometimes uh, it's the fool that speaks right away. So when do you speak, when do you not? It's a great question. I'm glad you've asked. Um, Proverbs says, is warning you in that passage, Ben's being thin-skinned that suddenly everything offends me and I gotta talk to everyone that they constantly offend me. It says, no, it says, hey, uh, the prudent can ignore an insult. There's some people that insults just bounce off. And I had people ask me that all the time. When do I confront someone about something they've said that hurts my feelings and when do I blow it off? And my question is, can you blow it off? Because if you can't, then you have to talk to them about it. It's that simple. What we say is, it's no big deal. And then we tell ourselves, it's no big deal. And then we go home and we imagine what we would have said now that we're prepared. And then we imagine saying it to them with a crowd around that as soon as we say it, everyone in the crowd goes, oh, right? And we're like, yeah. And uh, guess what? You can't let it go. 
You can't let it go. So just be honest with yourself about it. If you find yourself wanting revenge, you can't let it go. So guess what? You can't. So now you know. So now you gotta bring it up. And you gotta come to them, all right? And you gotta speak. And you gotta walk up and say, hey, remember when you told everyone that I have a big head? That hurt my feelings. And you're gonna have to say those kinds of things. So we're going to speak to each other. Donna and I, it's, it's fascinating, man. We're coming up on our 20th wedding anniversary. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. We will be out of town for that. Just a little heads up. But uh, we tell people all the time, our marriage has never been better. And we don't say that because pastors are supposed to say stuff like that. We say it's really true. And uh, we've tried to figure that out. Like what, what is going so well about it? And, and something we put early in our marriages, we said, let's keep short accounts. Because what we saw in marriages is, is, is a little irritant would get in. Someone would do something that bothers the other and they'd say, it's no big deal. But it was a big deal. You just, you just decided to hold on to it. And then you let resentment kind of build up like sediment in a river that slowly blocks the flow of love with each other. And then seven years later, you end up in counseling and wonder if the marriage is salvageable. And you have to go all the way back and start digging up. Remember when you said that thing about my mother? And you got to go back to some stuff that you could have dealt with in the moment. And when we first got married, we misunderstood each other all the time. What did you mean by that? Hey, when you said that, why did you say that? I don't understand that. And, and, and we realized, let's keep short accounts. Let's, let's not let the sun set on our anger. Let's get this done. It, it, it may lead to some sleepless nights, but joy will come in the morning. Right? So we're gonna speak. If someone hurt my feelings, we gotta talk. Right? And we're gonna speak the truth. And by the truth, yes, I mean the scripture, God's word is our parameter, but also we're gonna focus on the things we know are true. So when someone hurts your feelings, you say, I gotta engage him and talk to him. I'm gonna speak the truth. And let me tell you what you can know. You can know their actions and you can know your feelings. What you can't know is their motives. And that's where a lot of people go wrong, right? I remember the maddest I think I ever got was in college. I had a roommate uh, that he accused me of trying to make him look bad in front of these other girls. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, I don't know what I said that made you think I was trying to make you look bad in front of some girls. Like that was the furthest thing from my mind. That never entered my mind, but he just kept pushing on it. You're just trying to make me look bad. You're trying to embarrass me in front of these girls because you want them to like you. And he just kept putting motives on me I'd never had. And the more he did it, I actually had to leave because I was gonna punch him in the middle of this uh, workout arena and I was the chaplain of a ministry. And I just realized that's a bad look. And, uh, but a lot of people, that's where our relationships go wrong. You're trying to make me look stupid. You're trying to make me look like a fool. You just think you're whatever. And, and you're assuming their motives behind their behaviors that you can't know. But when you're in a conflict with somebody, you go, okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to speak to them, but let me speak the truth. When you did X, I felt Y. Those are the two things you know. When you made that joke in front of those people, it made me feel small and like you don't value me very much. And that gives them the ability to say, that's not what I meant to do. They get to speak to their motive. And then you can say, well, I probably thought that was true, but just it, it, it hurt and I wanted you to know that. Like, well, then I don't wanna do that to you again. Donna and I had to do that so much early in our marriage where she would say something and I would come back and said, when you said that, it made me feel this way. And I don't wanna feel that way in our relationship. 
And, and she had to do the same with me. And we had to figure out how to communicate. But as we spoke the truth to each other in love, we grew and our marriage grew. So I'm gonna focus on your actions and my feelings, not assuming motive. See that? And we're gonna speak the truth in love. How do I speak the truth to someone in love? I'd say one loving thing is pick the proper time and place to confront somebody, right? Uh, don't wait too long, because that disrupts clarity. You remember in 1996 when you made that quote about my dad? No, I don't at all. So try to keep it short, right? Don't pick a time that's insensitive to them. Just waiting by the door till they get home from work. Just waiting to pounce. Like, give them a second, okay? Don't pick a place that's humiliating, right? In front of all of our peers. Now that I've gathered you all here, I'd like to begin some prepared remarks called what Ned did, right? Like, you're gonna make it about something else. So in love, you pick the right moment to talk to somebody. And then you speak from your heart. Uh, this is what mentors of mine called the confrontation sandwich. You've heard this before. That sometimes when you speak from your heart, you can tell people what you love about them. You can tell them the behavior you didn't like and how it made you feel. And then close with something you love about them, you know? I value our relationship quite a bit. When I text you and never hear back from you, it, it makes me feel like you don't care. And I don't, I, I don't think you're trying to make me feel that way because I think you're a good friend. It's just we're, we're, mis we're disconnecting here. Do you see that? Complimented them while also giving them a gentle punch in the ribs, right? I mean, that's the idea of the whole thing, that I'm gonna speak the truth in love so that in all things we grow, that you can become a better person. This relates also, Matthew 18, Jesus talks about it, not just where someone hurts your feelings, but when someone's caught in sin. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't do it somewhere you're gonna humiliate him. If someone you see is sinning, go, go talk to them. And if you listen, you've gained a brother. That's all through the Bible. Luke 17 says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, turn to you seven times saying, I repent, then forgive him. James 5 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Galatians 6 says, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That when I see someone struggle, if I don't care, I walk away. If I care, I move towards them. Hey, I see you doing this. I don't know that you wanna keep doing that. I think it's hurting you. And if they won't listen to you, Jesus says, take two or three, one or two brothers along with you. So the charge may be established by two or three witnesses. Take some other people so they understand the, the severity of it. Some of you have had to do that with loved ones who are maybe addicted and you realize, man, some of their behaviors are gonna lead them to destruction. So I'm gonna create an awkward moment where I bring some friends around and we say, we all see this pattern in your life and it concerns us. We're not trying to shame you, we're trying to help you, right? And then it says, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. That, that try to involve some people with some authority in their life that can, again, let them see the seriousness of their behavior. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. What does that mean? If someone's doing something that they say, I am a Christian, but I'm gonna do things expressly condemned by Christ, you confront them. If they say, I don't care, then you have to go, well, then I don't know that you really know him. Someone that really loves Christ doesn't revel in what he came to destroy. We all struggle. But if you resist repentance, I just gotta go back to square one and say, do you know him? 
Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What's interesting about that is we quote that all the time. It's talking about in a matter here where you're trying to uh, offer a, a judgment about how to handle reconciliation. It's in a community of believers that we can help confront somebody for their redemption. And God says, where two or three of you are gathered, I'm there with you in that context. Uh, so anyway, I'll leave that for your own confusion because we gotta go. But let me say this. I think of uh, young Ben. There were several moments in my life where people came to me and it completely surprised me what they said. Uh, I remember a young woman coming up to me and saying, uh, my senior year of high school, you know, I always thought you were so judgmental because you would always walk down the hall and not say hi. And she said, I just assumed you were full of yourself and you were rude. And I was like, no, I was actually deeply introverted and insecure kid from a broken home. And I had trouble making eye contact. Completely different motive. But I'm so glad you came to me because the way I was treating you made me feel a way I don't want you to feel. So it she helped me learn and I had to learn how to make eye contact, smile. Hello, nice to meet you. Ha, 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 ha. Hello, no, more natural, more natural, okay. Hello, hello. No, okay, too loud. I had to learn. And she set me on a path of being a normal, healthy human. Early in my journey of faith, I had a brother come to me and say, hey man, I love you. I love hanging out with you. But when you quote the Bible and profuse profanity, you're confusing some of the other people. And I was like, what, really? Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, and I don't want people to feel confused. And it was when someone confronted me, I realized, oh, they actually love me. And in doing that, uh, they helped me grow. And I would like a church like that. Now that doesn't mean all go confront each other in the lobby. Some of you are like, I gotta get out of here. Like, <laughs> give it a beat, think about it. But if we can build a community like this, man, what a difference we can make in this city. To say, hey, when, when, when someone says something we don't like, rather than destroy them, I pray for them. Rather than disappear, I, I see tension as an opportunity uh, for growth. The beautiful thing is we have a standard for that that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we rebelled against God, he didn't say, fine, go then. What did he do? He came towards us. And Jesus was very honest with people. I mean, if you look, the way he would talk to some of them, you adulterous generation, you sons of the devil. And it's like, wow, that's very real. And he's like, you are, but I'm here to seek and save the lost. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I knew something was wrong with me. I, I wasn't putting in the Nat Stark of terms. But you're right. I don't know God and I can't fix me. And his truth was a form of love. And then he loved us enough to take on death for us. And he took the inconvenience of sacrifice for our redemption. That's our king. That he says, I didn't move away from you in your sin. I moved towards you, right? I didn't make space for it or excuses for it. I didn't justify it or protect it. I condemned it for what it was, but I found a way to condemn your sin and still love you. And look, there's a lot we didn't talk about in situations of abuse. Sometimes the safest thing you do, if someone is 
violent is you do have to get space from them. You're not gonna solve it one-on-one. But in normal everyday life, we're gonna rub up against each other and there's friction. And we have to be able to say that person's beautiful in the image of God, but broken because of sin. But Christ, while I was a sinner, died for me to love me. I'm gonna come and speak the truth to them in love so that we can all things grow up into the head that is Christ. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.